You're listening to the Favorite Marriage Podcast, a place where you and your spouse can experience God's favor on your forever. We are your hosts, Monty and Janine Mora. With over 28 years of marriage, our desire is to encourage any marriage in any season to have the favorite marriage. Join us as we explore relevant topics and provide practical tools for your marriage toolbox. Here's this week's episode of The Favorite Marriage. I read a quote this week by Nikki Gumbel. He's a pastor. And the quote says, don't be afraid of pressure. Pressure is what transforms a lump of coal into a diamond. Now, as I read that quote this last week, it reminded me just in people in general, um, people just like you and I, we have faced or will face or are facing pressure points as just part of our daily life. That's just how life is. We're going to have these moments and times of pressure. How many of you ever said or heard somebody say this phrase, I'm better under pressure? How many have heard somebody say or you've said, I've been under a lot of pressure to perform? Have you ever heard anybody say, man, I hope I don't break under pressure? Right? So all of these these words, these phrases we use are relative to the idea of the pressure that we feel as, as individuals. Now, what I want to do is I want to take you to a text in the, in the New Testament, in the book of James, and it speaks to this idea of pressure. And I want to kind of build the sermon from here, and then we'll, um, we'll get the plane up off the ground. So James chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, and James says this in verse 3, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come to you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it, let pressure do its work so that you become mature, well-developed, not deficient in any way. James in this text speaks of several things when it comes to being under pressure. Number one, he says pressure is prevailing. In other words, pressure can come from us, come at us from many different sides. I don't know if you've ever been in a place, but I've been there before where I have felt like pressure has come at me from all sides, all points, all at once. You ever been there before? And you just feel like this pressure is just really prevailing in my life. James also says that pressure is revealing. In other words, pressure shows the true color of your faith life. I always say that if you want to find out what's inside of a person, squeeze them, put pressure on them, because what's inside of us is naturally going to come out. And James says, in this case, when pressure is applied to our life, what really comes out is our, our faith, our true faith, the color of our true faith. Like, is your faith strong? Is it weak? Is it anemic? Is it, what is your faith like? It's tested under pressure. And James says the third thing about pressure, it's maturing. He says, let pressure do its work so that we can be well developed. One of the reasons why God allows pressure to enter into our lives is because God wants to develop our, our muscles of faith. He says, James says that when pressure comes upon you, your faith life is revealed. Your faith is being formed. Your faith is being fashion. And so when we go through trials, when we go through tribulations, when we go through difficult times in life, literally God has allowed them to enter our life for the very reason of building our faith muscles. And the Bible says that as we, as we go through these trials, 
God is using the, the, the pressure that's being pushed up against us in that moment, in that situation, and God is using that to develop and to strengthen our faith. See, many times people say, I want my faith to grow. God, grow my faith. Make my faith stronger. But then God says, okay, let me bring you some trials your way. Let me bring some troubles your way. We're like, oh God, I don't want my faith to grow that way. I meant like an easier way. No, faith develops as a result of the trials and the tribulations and the pressure that is exerted against your spiritual life. Anybody knows, any guy that knows, that, that goes to the gym, you know that your muscles, your physical muscles in your body are not going to grow unless you apply pressure, the pressure of weight against that muscle. And so what happens is that muscle experiences those micro tears in the muscle, and then you feed it some protein, and that muscle begins to develop, but it begins as pressure is applied to the body. And it's the same thing with our spiritual faith. If we want our muscles of faith to grow, we have to welcome pressure. I spoke earlier about what Nicky Gumbel said about diamonds. He says pressure makes diamonds. Do you know that the diamond is one of the most expensive and precious of gems? Diamonds, they form about 100 miles below the Earth's surface in the, in the, in the mantle crest of the Earth. And in the center of the Earth, this diamond actually begins what we call as a carbon rock and with the right amount of pressure time and heat that carbon rock over time will begin to transform into what we know as a diamond you see a diamond is the toughest of all gems and it's a beautiful symbol we know it in marriage this is why when a, a man is going to you know propose and give um, his life to his future wife he'll, he'll go and he'll search for the right diamond because he knows that diamond is symbolic of, of strength. That diamond is, is symbolic of beauty. That's what he wants to give to his bride. Same thing, brides want to do it for their husbands. So in order to really have a diamond marriage, a diamond relationship, one must be willing to grow, not go, but grow through the trials and pressures, allowing the Lord to shape and to form that marriage or that relationship. Pressure makes diamonds. Okay? Say that with me. Pressure makes diamonds. Now, this leads to my first big idea I want to preach to you about today, and it is life is filled with pressure points. Now, stay with me. Pressure has many faces. It wears many different faces. So when I speak of pressure points, I think of all these different points in life where pressure comes our way. I, I want to list a few. There's parenting pressure, financial pressure, academic pressure, athletic pressure, pressure. I mean, the list goes on and on. There's so many different points of life where we feel pressure. Now, there's an there's a area that we rarely hear talked about, even in the church, and it's relative to the idea of marriage, and I call this um, point of pressure, I call it marital grief. Marital grief is a fundamental action which causes trouble or distress in the relationship. And what happens is when there's, when there's this trouble or distress that happens in a marital relationship, it can even be something just so small. We, this creates what we call micro-grief, okay? Micro-grief. Now, many don't realize, but in marriages, we experience micro-grief all the time. 
And this is the type of grief that happens inside of a marriage where we experience micro moments of trouble in the marriage, micro moments of disappointments, arguments, rejection, and other type of marital discomforts that hit the marriage. So say, for example, if my wife and I are in an argument and we have a disagreement, maybe an intense disagreement where like voices are raised and emotions really involved in it, right? And it's really intense. Um, and that argument doesn't get fully resolved. There's something inside in me, at least in me as a husband, where I'm feeling like, mmm, mmm. I feel an unsettledness in me because it's not resolved. And we carry that, and especially if it goes unresolved, you carry that micro grief, that discomfort inside you. And then what happens is, if that compounds over and over and keeps happening over and over again inside of a marriage, what happens in that marital relationship is the pressure begins to what? Build. Build. And all of a sudden, you can be having a fantastic day, and all of a sudden, you can have that moment of disagreement, and that right button gets pushed, and when that button gets pushed, guess what happens? Either spouse can lose their wits. And they just blow up or they go off. And you're like, wow, where'd that come from? Well, it came from all these little tiny moments of grief that have built up over time that has caused this immense pressure. And all of a sudden, it was the wrong word, the wrong action, the wrong behavior, the wrong emotion, the wrong nonverbal. And all of a sudden, it blows up. Why? Pressure. I can promise you that if you as an individual do not take the matter of pressure seriously, especially in your marriage, you are most likely pointed towards the path of a major marriage meltdown. So this is why we say in marriage, in family, in relationships, that you have to learn how to manage pressure in your life. Learn how to manage that pressure in your, in your marriage. Know when, that, when, the, when to release that valve to let that pressure just get out and decompress. Because if not, if we don't, if we don't, we ignore it, that's when we see a lot of marital discourse take place. Now think about this. We have tools to gauge pressure in things of life, but we don't have a tool necessarily to gauge pressure in our life. But there's something inside of the human body that is giving us this gauge to say, you're getting overcompensated. I agree with Nikki Gumbel when he says pressure makes diamonds, but I also say pressure makes dumb decisions. Don't let pressure pressure you into making a dumb decision. Now, I think of a guy in the Old Testament by the name of Samson. Samson was a judge for the nation of Israel, and the Bible says he met this lady, this woman, and her name was... Delilah. I think there's a song made about Samson and Delilah, right? So Samson was this really strong guy, and the secret of his strength was his hair. As his hair grew longer, the more strength he, he, he developed. Now in Judges chapter 16, verses 15 and 7 through 17, we pick up the story where Delilah has been pressing Samson. Tell me the secret of your strength. Tell me, tell me. And so we pick up the, verse, uh, the story in verse 15. And she said to him, Samson, 
How can you say, I love you, when you won't confide in me, Sammy boy? This is the third time you have made me a fool of me, and you haven't told me where your great strength lies. And the Bible says in verse 16, and she pressed him, she nagged him, so hard with her words day after day, and she urged him until he was sick to death of it. She nagged him and pressed him so much where he's like, I want to die. So Delilah pressed Samson, nagged him so hard to where she weakened his character, she weakened him, and he finally told her the secret of his great strength, and then he divulged everything. The Bible goes on to say that that. Once she did that, she called the people in. They shaved off his head. They bound Samson. And it's a a, a sad, sad story of Samson because the Bible says after they took him, they gouged out his eyes and they would bring him out every now and then and they treated him like a circus animal. He became the spectacle for the nation. And the Bible says that Samson, he died with the way he died, in my estimation, was a very sad death. Um, very sad life. The Bible says as his hair began to grow, they brought him out to perform for the people as usual. And he said, place me between the two pillars where the people are standing up on. And the Bible says that he prayed one last time, God give me strength, and he pushed the pillars down and killed a lot of people that day. That's how he died. Very sad death. But I look at Samson and I'm like, Samson made a pressure decision that cost him greatly. I don't know if you've ever been there before in a pressure situation and you made a decision or you said something, you made a commitment and you realize, I should not have said that. I should not have bought that car. I should not have bought that timeshare. I should not have bought that vacuum. But the pressure was on. We feel pestered. We feel nagged, just like a Delilah. And he got impatient to the point of death, and he told her the secret of his great strength, which was his long hair. And we see here that Delilah's pressure on Samson weakened his character, and it weakened his leadership ability, his leadership influence for the nation of Israel. Now listen, true biblical love in the context of marriage and relationships does not pressure others into making a decision against their will. If you truly love your spouse, if you truly love that person that you're with, you truly love a family member, a child, a mom and dad, you are not going to pressure them into making a decision that is not of their own will. That is not love. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, love is patient and love is kind. Love doesn't seek its own value to yourself. Love thinks other-centered. And so when we think of this idea of pressure, we have to think of the, through the lens of love, and love is not going to pressure anybody to do anything outside of your will. Now, we talked earlier about having a blood pressure cup attached, and you can check your blood pressure. But I want to do today is I want to give you one tool that will help you gauge the pressure in your life and help you get past those moments of pressure points. 
Let pressure point you to God's purpose. Pressure points you to God's purpose. Let's read 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16. Paul says, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Watch this. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now when he uses the word eternal, I have to refer you back to verse 17, where he says your troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory. What's the purpose of pressure, trials, and troubles for the Christian? It's achieving for us, it's producing for us an eternal glory. So the aim, the goal, the purpose is the glory of God. In every situation, in every circumstance that we go through as a believer, we want the glory of God to be revealed in our life. We want God to be glorified in our circumstance. So Paul says, as you're going through these pressure-filled moments, he says, what you need to do is you need to get your eyes corrected. And so Paul is saying, get your eyes fixed. In other words, fix your focus. Don't focus so much on what you're going through in the moment, but Paul says, fix your eyes on the eternal purpose that is being grown and built inside of you as a result of what you're going through. He says, this situation is really achieving for you an eternal glory that will outweigh all the stuff you can, nat you can see naturally with your eyes. If you can just really change your perspective when you're looking at something, and get a God perspective of it, it changes the game for what you're going to go through. Like, if my wife and I are arguing, and we get done with an argument, and I'm mad at her, and she's mad at me, I can see her as my enemy. Or I can see her as my ally, knowing that we have an enemy, a devil, a, a, a Satan, a, a devil that is trying to divide my marriage. And the enemy would want me to see my spouse as my enemy. She's against me. She doesn't love me. She doesn't like me. She hates me. And that's exactly what Satan wants you to see your spouse as. It's perspective. Or I can say, you know what? This is my one flesh partner. This is my ride or die. And she's been with me for 28 years. And, 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 and man, she's stuck with me all these, all these years and all the trials. And this is my partner. She's my suitable helper. And I realize the enemy right now is using this situation to make me see her as she's against me. She's not my adversary. She's my ally. It's all about perspective. And if it's how you see your relationship, it's how you see your life, it's how you see your circumstance that literally changes the game of how you get through that situation. It's perspective. Like they say, when you're going through a really bad trial, climb a mountain. Why? Because the mountain gives you a different perspective of the valley. And that's what God wants to do for us, is climb a mountain and gain a godly perspective when you're faced with pressure. 
You guys remember in Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible references marriage between a husband and a wife, and he uses it as a comparison or like a mirror of Christ in the church. You know what I'm talking about? So as, as Christ loves the church, so a husband needs to love his wife. As a Christ gave himself for the church, so the husband should show sacrificial love to his wife. Remember, there's this mirror, this imagery of God, Christ in the church, and husband and wife. Now, I want you to notice that in verse 25, it's not going to be up on the screen, but in verse 25 in Ephesians 5, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Watch this. And gave himself up for her. Christ gave his life for the church. Now, I want you to jump with me to the book of Matthew when Jesus is in his final days as he's getting ready to die for his church, for, for his bride. <clears throat> now, in Matthew 26, verse 36, it says, Now Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and there he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And he took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here with me and watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples, <clears throat> and he found them sleeping. He says, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing and the flesh is weak. Now it's interesting, Gethsemane is an interesting word. Because in Hebrew, the word Gethsemane means oil press. And it's taken from two Hebrew words. First word is gat or geth, gat, G-A-T, and it means pressed, pressed. And then the Gethsemane, in Hebrew, it means shamanim, shamanim, and it's meaning oil. So Gethsemane is what we know as a place where the oil is pressed. And here we see our Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who died for the church, died for his bride, knowing he's about to face death, and we find him in the Garden of Gethsemane in his final days, and he's pleading with the Father, He's pleading with the Father, and he's saying, Father, if it be possible, may this cup pass. In other words, in his humanity as a son of God, being human, he's like saying, God, man, if there's any other way that I can get past this by instead of this death being, I would like that to happen. But then he says, yet not my will, your will. Whatever cup you have for me, Father, I, I'm willing to drink it. The cup of suffering, the cup of death, I am willing. And he's there and he's praying and he's weeping. And the Bible says that he's crying and praying so hard that he starts sweating drops of blood. And he's pleading with the Father. Because here in Gethsemane, there's a pressure in our Savior. Watch this. It's here in Gethsemane where we see our Savior, Jesus Christ, he is praying, and he's pressing his will into the will of the Father. I've been there. I've been in those moments where I've had to press my will into the will of the Father. How much more fruitful would your marriage be if you as a husband and wife just pressed into God together as a one flesh, 
marital relationship, and together you joined, and you prayed, and you sought God and his will for your marriage. I want to close with this final personal story. Last year, around this time, in October, uh, my, my wife and I, our family, we were under immense pressure. And we are feeling the pressure of, we had just dissolved the Fillmore campus. My wife and I were seeking, like, God, what is your will for us? What's your next step for us? Because we didn't know, like, how he was moving us with this, with this, um, new, this new season. So we do what we have normally done in all these years of marriage is we just prayed and we fasted and we pressed into God. And we felt God leading us um, into, back into what we call marriage ministry. We had done marriage ministry for many years at our previous church for about 10 years. And, um, and we had kind of stepped away from it for a while because we were doing the Fillmore campus and helping out um, in other areas here at Restoration. And we felt like God began to move us back again into the area of marriage ministry. And specifically, not just doing marriage ministry here at the church uh, for couples, but marriage ministry on a broader, broader sense, whereas ministry to people um, outside of Colorado and around the, around the world. And so as we began to pray, we, 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 we thought about launching a brand new podcast, a marriage podcast. And we felt like, man, we can provide some tools in marriage couples because we get couples have, have reached out to us from different parts of the state and just saying, we need coaching, we need guidance. And we're like, why don't we just try to cover all this stuff, like doing a marriage podcast so we can help more couples and more families and more married couples. So we started praying about starting a marriage podcast. This was back in October of last year. There was a lot of barriers, a lot of pressures to launching this marriage podcast that we had to overcome. So in the spring, we just said, well, we need to begin something. We need to start with the step of faith of doing something. So we had an extra spare room in our house. And so we started building our podcast room in our home. And uh, it took months to get that done. And then we started buying um, materials and, and microphones and cameras and all the stuff that we needed to get this podcast up and running. So by, by the end of May, uh, we had the podcast room ready to go. And what happened is in the early part of May, um, on a regular normal day, I went to work on a Friday morning, and by that Friday afternoon, I was called into um, the ED's office, and I was handed a letter told I didn't have a job. So I'm like, okay, we spent all this money on this podcast room, and we're getting ready to launch this podcast, and uh, homie doesn't have a job. <laughs> all right, God, what is going on? So you talk about financial pressure. When you're the breadwinner of your home, and you're the, you're the one that brings the money in and takes care of the family, that was a lot. And we were, this happened in May. And guess what? We were right in the middle of teaching Marriage on the Rock class. And guess, guess what? The next Wednesday, after I was laid off, that following Wednesday, we had to get up and teach on, which was not by coincidence, the idea of financial management in marriage. <laughs> you talk about God setting us up, and I'm like, telling my wife, how in the world can we get up and teach married couples all about financial management when I'm, I'm unemployed? Pressure, pressure. So what ended up happening is um, we went on vacation. What do you do when you're laid off? You go on vacation. <laughs> we went on a cruise to Alaska, right? We had some money saved up for it, and we went on an Alaskan cruise, and we're like, on the cruise, we're like, we have to get back, and when we get back to Colorado, we have to launch this podcast because we sense the enemy is attacking 
this thing from every side. He's using everything he can to discourage us and not to launch this podcast. So we got back and we launched our podcast and we titled it, our, our podcast, The Favorite Marriage. And so we launched that at the um, end of July. And we did launch a podcast. This is so new for us. We were, this is new territory. So we're like, what do we do here? So we learn and we've grown. And over the last uh, several months, we have, we have launched this podcast. And God has opened this door for this podcast to be on all major podcast platforms. Um, we're on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, Google, Chrome, um, um, CastBox, our YouTube channel. And I'm telling you, as we have launched this podcast just in a few months, we have gotten amazing responses from people all over the nation. We get messages daily, weekly, from people from Iowa. Just last week, Iowa, Nebraska, Germany, Colorado. I mean, we are just seeing God just use this podcast just to bless so many different married couples and none of this would have happened unless we weren't going through the pressure of last October of just pressing into God. God, what is your next step for us? And God is using the marriage ministry. God is using the favorite marriage podcast to minister to married couples, couples out there that we don't even know that are getting ministered to. It's amazing. We're getting people following us on our Facebook page, on our Instagram, and we're on TikToks. Yeah, TikTok. And we're getting people following us from all over, and we're like, who are these people? Jeannie's like, who are these? I don't know, they're just following us. People are sharing the podcast and getting the word out, and people are just liking, liking, following, following. I'm like, thank you, God. But none of this would have been possible if it wasn't the pressure we were under last year. You see... God uses pressure to reveal his purpose for your life. Thanks for listening to The Favorite Marriage, where you and your spouse can experience God's favor on your forever. If you enjoyed this resource, please leave us a review and share it with your friends. We'll see you next time on The Favorite Marriage Podcast.